Hi, I'm Tracy Malone, and this is Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. On today's show, you will hear from Elaine Heaney from Grey Pony Films. Elaine has grown up with horses in Ireland and is lucky that her father was a gentle horse trainer. However, it was on her travels around the world that her horsemanship changed forever when in New Zealand, Elaine saw a horse being ridden bareback with a single rein. It's the old saying, you can't be what you can't see. Once Elaine's eyes were open to this new way of being, there was no going back for her. She then travelled to Australia, and once home in Ireland, she travelled to the UK to find a new way to train her horses. Elaine is a natural go-getter in the world. She doesn't seem to believe in cart. She sees an opportunity and says yes, or makes a suggestion herself, and then figures out what has to happen next. She has written four books, three of them on horses and horsemanship. You can find these books on Amazon. So it's absolutely no surprise to me that after being involved with a Mark Rashid movie in the US, she decided to teach herself how to become a movie maker. The Mark Rashid movie, Out of the Wild, which Elaine was the executive producer, won the Director's Choice Award at the 2016 Equus Film Festival in New York. Elaine then went on to make a short film about Steve Halfpenny from Light Hands Equitation in South Australia. This film has been selected for 10 international film festivals and won 11 awards, including Best Director, Best Cinematography and Best Documentary. The next natural step for Elaine was to make a feature-length film about Steve. This film is called Steve Halfpenny, Light Hands Equitation and it has just been released. I've watched the film and it's beautifully done. Steve is a gentle and kind man with horses and the movie gives you a real sense of the type of horsemanship he does and how he has worked long and hard to make the world a better place for horses. With this movie, Elaine has done her mentor proud. Elaine has now decided to expand her filmmaking skills to incorporate anyone who is working with horses in an extraordinary way. She is still taking applications. You will hear more about this in the interview. So sit back and enjoy this incredible woman. Here is Elaine. Elaine, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. You're very welcome. It's lovely to be chatting with you this morning. All the way from Ireland, I've got Elaine here today. So I'm very excited to have this amazing connection to someone from the other side of the world. Elaine, can you start by telling me a little bit about what it is that you do? Um, sure. I somehow have found myself in the movie business and I direct and produce horse movies. Wonderful. In a nutshell. <laughs> in a nutshell. And I'd really love to hear more about how it is that you got to that place. So let's start right back at the start. How did your life begin with horses? Have they always been a part of your life? Um, yeah, I guess since since I was pretty young, both of my parents rode and uh, my family have a farm. And so when I was about six, my mum made the bad decision that she thought it'd be cute if I got a pony. Never uh. thinking that I could still be doing it now. I think she thought it would just be a phase for a couple of years. So started off with one pony that grew into a larger pony that grew into a small horse and uh, and on it continued and I did pony camp and um, competed in university and that kind of stuff. And do you remember that first pony? 
Yeah, he was called Breezley and he just wouldn't move. But he was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't move and he ate grass. Yeah, he was, he was great. I think for the first half of circle, he'd move too fast, but then he just wouldn't move at all. And yeah, he was a lot of fun. Wonderful. So who was the horse that you upgraded to after that? Uh, after Breezley, there was, who was it? Tady, who was 11-2 chestnut pony, who was genius and who just did everything. And then after Tady, there was a 13-1 grey Connemara called Pepsi. And then there was a 15-1 or 2 black cob called Cinderella. And then my current horse is a probably just about 15 hands white or grey Connemara again. And you said you went to university after high school? Uh, I did. I, I didn't do anything related to horses at all because I love them, but I kind of figured out they're pretty tough work. If you want to actually get a job with horses, there's a lot of work and not a lot of pay. So I mm. thought I would do something a lot more sensible. And I did music in college. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Very sensible, but it was fun. And um, college was about two or three hours away from me. So I just... I probably didn't do a lot with my horses at that stage and we had a riding club. So we'd every week we'd go riding and do little jumps and stuff. And we ended up then having a team in the university and we did all this inter-university competition stuff. That so was, it was heaps of fun. You were just thrown up on a horse you didn't know and you did a little dressage test or a little round of courses or something. So it was really good. It was a nice way to, um, to keep in touch with the horses when I was away from them. So Wonderful. And whereabouts in Ireland are you from? I'm from the south in a place called Tipperary. There's a song about it. I know. It's the Uh, only place I know. How wonderful. Really? (laughs) It's beautiful. When it's not raining, it's it's absolutely beautiful. Nearly as beautiful as Queensland. And um, right now it's blue sky and sunshine and really warm. And I've just, uh, yeah, been doing lots of horse stuff here. So it's really nice. Wonderful. And so what happened after university? Where did life take you? So at that stage with my horse stuff, I'd gone through Pony Club. And in Pony Club, you have these tests that you have to do. Exam- well, you don't have to do, but there are exams that you can do. There's the D, the D plus, the C or whatever. And they're a lot of fun until you get kind of higher up and then they get kind of serious. And they want you to do things like dressage and hindquarter yields and being on the bit and all this kind of stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. it was kind of unfortunate that the way that the people that were teaching me at the time trying to do this stuff were, it wasn't being taught in the nicest way. Like for a hind quarter yield, somebody just came up and punched my horse's side and I was just Ooh. horrified. Yeah, I'm just, because I was always brought up that, you know, you're kind to horses, you respect horses, you're patient, you work with them, you know, the you give them the respect that they should have. And this was just alien to me. So I, and then the whole on the bit thing was like a double bridle and pull the mouth off the horse. And I was just like, this is just wrong, 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 wrong. And so I was, I, I didn't go any further with it. That's why then I just messed around in college and just did kind of fun stuff and did a bit of polo cross after it. But at the back of my head, I was always fascinated with being able to bring on a young horse because my dad used to buy, three or four-year-olds that no one that hadn't been started or backed before. And he would kind of mm-hmm. bring them on slowly and back them and start riding them. And over from the time they were like three or four till about eight, he just bring them on slowly until they were literally just 
fantastic cross-country horses and then normally sell them and then buy the next young one. So I was fascinated by how he could change a horse from this like green, maybe a bit nervous, unconfident thing to just this really happy, confident, brave horse. And that, that used to fascinate me. And so when the people were teaching me, you know, these kind of fairly rough ways of trying to get stuff done, I was like, this isn't right. But I didn't, I was curious. I'd love to, always love to be able to do like fancy stuff with a horse. You know, I've seen people do cool dressage tests and they're doing all these like elaborate movements and stuff. And I, I always thought it just, it was so cool. But I just said, if that's ha- what you have to do to get there, I'm having no part of it. So it was actually, I did my first trip to New Zealand and Australia. And I got a job over there as a backpacker and I got a job in New Zealand on this horse treks in uh, the Southern Alps in, in just well, south of Kaikoura. Um, and it was, I arrived anyway, they thought I was Australian because I'd emailed them from Australia. So they got a bit of shock when they found out I was Irish and they had horses going up and down mountains in rope head collars. And the lady that was there, I saw her one day on her horse bareback in a rope halter with one rein never mind two reins she just had the one rein and she was doing this really beautiful relaxed collective canter and I just I kind of I nearly fell over it because I was like oh my god there is actually a way that you can mm-hmm. do really nice stuff with a horse and not force it into doing all this crazy stuff that people were trying to do with me so I actually ended what up year was this? oh god um 2003 or 4 maybe Oh, that's so impressive that somebody was that advanced back then. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, her name was Kathy John. She's she's an amazing horsewoman. But I I had I didn't even know this was out there, so I wasn't even looking for it. And it was purely by chance I ended up at this horse trek where she was at. Yeah. Um, before you got to Queensland, did she teach you what she knew in New Zealand? Um, yeah. So she was um, she was, I was kind of watching and learning as she was explaining some stuff. But I mean, we're doing the horse treks as well and all that kind of thing. And I just, when I left, I was like, what you do is genius. I want to learn more. Where do you suggest I go? You know, because I'm still backpacking around. So she said, there's, um, if you tried to go to Australia, maybe, that there's probably more people teaching there. And if you contact a few people, I think it was Australian Natural Horsemanship at the time. There's a few mm-hmm. guys there doing it. And maybe if you email them, one or two of them might be able to help you in some way, you know. So I emailed all of them. One guy emailed me back from Kabulshire in Queensland. His name is Brad Weeks. And he was crazy enough to say, okay, yeah, come on over. Stay with us for a week and I'll teach you every day. And you can watch me teaching people and you can ride my horses. And we'll try to get you through like level one of whatever it was by the end of it. So that just that week in Queensland like blew my mind it was yeah it was amazing and what was the most amazing thing you learned in that week it was just a whole different way of of doing things with horses that I like I hadn't even like I don't even know I presume the internet was there god that (laughs) makes me sound really old but I hadn't seen videos of any of this stuff I hadn't googled it I hadn't heard of any of this stuff and it was just that I could it was just such a nicer way of number one, trying to understand the horses and figure it out and ride in a less mechanical way and more using energy. And yeah, I don't know. It's probably so long ago. <laughs> it's hard Wonderful. to in specifics, but we basically went through all of what was level one at that stage, which is 
um, I was doing stuff like riding around like with nothing on the horse's head, which was just, it's like me going to the moon. It's like something that wasn't even, even the realms of possibility, mm. you know? So it just, the biggest thing was probably that it opened my mind to what you can actually achieve with the horse with a bit of education, which I didn't yeah. have that stage because I didn't know anyone doing that. It's you can't be what you can't see. So once you see it, it, it means it's possible. Yeah, once you even know that it's out there, I literally, it was not part of my world whatsoever before. And I wasn't even looking at it for it, which was the weird thing, you know? <laughs> so it just. Yeah, finds you at the right time. So what happened yeah. next? Uh, so next I came back to Ireland and I was really enthusiastic and I wanted to find someone here doing anything along these lines that wasn't your strict traditional push them around not that all traditional is but a fair bit of it is here and so i i ran into problems because i couldn't find anyone so i thought well i'll set up a website because if i can't find anyone maybe somebody can find me um so i set up a website but then instead of me finding somebody to teach people were asking me to teach them and i was like listen i <laughs> i know it's possible but i i don't know enough to do any of this stuff you know um, and I ended up going over to England and doing a few courses over there that actually really disappointed me because they were really on the basic end of the scale and actually showed a lack of horsemanship, even though what they were talking about was similar to what I'd come across in New Zealand and Australia, but they didn't have any of the skills to back it up. So that was a bit disheartening. And I was on this forum, actually, these internet forums were kind of big at that stage, more so than Facebook. I don't think Facebook was even launched then. I was on one of these mm, internet forums yeah. and on these forums, like you kind of see, you know, names that pop up and some people just come across as uh, some of them are just kind of bananas basically. But uh, some of them are maybe like desktop warriors where you kind of know they don't really have a lot of practical knowledge. Um, but there was a group of people in that forum or in that forum that seemed to be, their answers were always really considered and they seemed to, from the way that they typed, I guess, and, and commented on different things, you kind of knew they were good horse people. Um, and they kept talking about this guy called Steve, this Aussie called Steve. Um, it's Steve, Steve. Um, and so I was on this thing for about a year. And then Steve was coming over for a clinic to England and they were so excited. And the clinic came and went and they were still talking about how good it was. And I'm just like, maybe I need to go and see the Steve guy. If these guys recommend him, you know. So I decided the next summer that I would buy a plane ticket over the, to the UK. The, he was going to this place in the middle of nowhere. It was literally a field, I don't know, like 30 miles outside London. And so I flew over. I got a hire car. The first time I ever rented a hire car. I drove around London. The first time I'd ever driven outside of Ireland. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I hope I'm not going to be like abducted or something. You know, you hear these horror stories on the internet that I would yes. ride kidnapped and killed or something, you know? So I was a bit apprehensive. But anyway, I walked in to this really nice kind of yard with a little, out, well, not little, an outdoor arena and about maybe 15 or 20 people there kind of chatting, having tea and coffee and biscuits and stuff and a lot of cake. They're really good at cakes. And mm -hmm. there was this really tall Australian guy who's like eight foot or something. And he was teaching in the arena. And he had this funny accent, obviously. And... um he had all this kind of weird terminology that I didn't really remember from, from the Australia and New Zealand stuff. But I spent the two days there in the sunshine 
and I was watching everything that was going on and it was just, this was like a level above any of the stuff that I'd seen or done before. It was like the horses were just so relaxed, so happy. Like the whole thing was, the whole picture was beautiful. It was just like, if you went to heaven, that's what the horses would be doing. It was, I guess, I can't even explain. It was just, I didn't understand a word he said. I didn't understand how the riders were getting the horses to do this stuff. But the picture I saw was what I wanted. That was like it. So I basically decided that, okay, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand anything, but I'm coming back. And every time that you come here, I'm coming to see you. So that was the beginning of, uh, of learning with Steve Hopney. And were you able to translate those things back to your horses when you got home? Oh, uh, no, that first clinic, because I didn't understand any of it. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't. Um, I No, basically, he, he was coming twice every summer at that stage. So I probably went over for the second clinic. And then from there, because if you've seen it already, then the second time you see it, you're like, oh, I remember he was doing that the last time. And then you can like, ch- you know, I was getting to know the people there. So I'm probably not getting as nervous that I was going to be kidnapped. So I could ask a couple of questions <laughs> and, and try and figure it out. And then it started to make sense. Then I could bring home stuff and try it with my horse, which was really good. And how did it make a difference to you and your horse? Oh God, it changed everything. Cause at that stage I had a, um, my current guy, who's now 16, he was probably five or six at the time. And he was, he was quite a handful when I got him. He was just backed. They reckon they'd broken him in eight weeks. And what they had done was just kind of created a monster. Really. He was terrified mm-hmm. of people. So he went from really, really scared to really annoyed and fed up and frustrated. And he'd switch like in a second. So being able to like do things like groundwork with him when he was literally too dangerous to ride and stuff. Like I didn't even know groundwork could have existed before I started this stuff. So that was really big. And then I guess after going over to England for like two or three years and I think Steve kind of got used to this Irish person, you know, <laughs> appearing every time he came over, I, I kind of asked him one day, would he ever consider doing a clinic in Ireland? Because I got as far as I could, but I really needed him, his input to actually see my horse and to, to help me figure out what was actually going on in his head to see why he was so uptight and frustrated and annoyed and angry and all of these things. Because you could start walking from here. And by the time you took five steps at the beginning, he was relaxed and chilled. Five steps later, it was like sitting on an unexploded bomb, which was wow. crazy. And I was like, am I not doing enough? And I'm letting him away with it. Or am I doing too much and freak him, freaking him out? <laughs> and because I didn't know, I couldn't, I couldn't solve the issue because I didn't know what the problem was. And I really needed somebody who had seen this kind of thing and, and worked with a lot more horses that had a lot more experience to, um, yeah, just to get their opinion and insight, which was really good. So. And he said yes? He said yes. And I'm like, oh my God, okay, I've got to somehow get a clinic and get people to come to it and and so I think I just rang around all my friends and I was like, listen, there's this guy. I know you've never seen him or know anything about him, but he's genius. And I'm going to bring him to Tipperary. And would you like to come and get some help with your horses? And, and yeah, so we had our first clinic. Actually, no, the first year he came over with three clinics, actually. I don't even know how that happened. We had three clinics and they were just, they were genius. I think I rode in nearly all of them. And yeah, it was so helpful to have somebody of that expertise to come over because there's there's I mean there's still nobody like that here in Ireland you know and so because Ireland is kind of funny 
Uh, no, no, <laughs> not at all. Trust me. <laughs> no, um, we're. It's kind of funny because I know, like in the states and in Australia, you guys have been. Um, like there's lots of different approaches to horsemanship, and if you probably Google horsemanship in Australia, I don't know how many trainers that you'll get doing interesting things. You're going to get a lot, and in America, it's the same. The population is so big. Um, and there's so many different influences and traditions that there's a lot of variety over there. Whereas with Ireland, like literally there's hardly anybody interested in like the kind of horsemanship as an art form side of things. Whereas here, most people are just traditional and they want to just go show jumping or eventing or um, hunting or whatever it is. So this is really, really niche and this is really, really new. And we're, I don't know how many years behind Australia, maybe like, 10 15 and at least 10 years behind England and then because we're so small the guys that are really well known in the world and tend to do like big clinics and demos and stuff they don't come to Ireland because they they can't get the audience because there's not enough of it the community isn't as big so we have to kind of mm-hmm. go to England or go to Australia or the states to try and see these guys and what did you find out about your horse in that those three clinics um the first clinic, we definitely improved, but it was still a bit like we hadn't really got to the kind of the heart of the matter. So the second year Steve came over, um, I was riding, I was riding Aussie and I just, I'd literally, like I described earlier, had gone like five or six steps and he went from relaxed to just the angriest unexploded bomb you've ever seen, you know, and these were like five steps of walk in a straight line. <laughs> and you're like, what's mm. wrong? And so I said, Steve, I said, listen, would you mind just sitting up on Aussie and just telling me what is going on? Because I just can't figure it out. I've never had a horse like this. So Steve was great. And he said, okay, listen, fine, I'll hop up. Um, so he hopped up on Aussie and he rode him for about three or four minutes. Um, but all he really, he kind of stayed in the same place in the arena. And all he could see was like a foot forward or a foot back or a foot to the side. Um, and you could see Aussie was pretty revved up and stuff. Um, and so there was a lot of just the odd foot movement. He didn't even walk Ozzy around or anything. Um, but then by the end of Ozzy was starting to kind of, you could see his body kind of relax a bit more. Um, and, and I was grand. So then Steve got off and then I'm like, okay, Steve, so what, like, what is it? <laughs> What's the story with this horse, you know? And he's like, oh, Lane, yeah, far. I can't do his accent. He said, far out. He's like, uh, so he said, when I got up on, on when I rode Ozzy, sat on him he said everything I asked him to do he would do the direct opposite so if I asked for the front right foot to go forward he'd go backwards if I asked him to go right he'd try and go left Um, he said at one stage the horse got so frustrated that he thought the horse was just going to sit down (laughs) wow okay so so how do I fix it you know like what do I do so he he said listen the story is the horse is really really sensitive and he he reckoned that the horse just felt that he was being pushed into stuff and not actually given enough time to think things through, that people had rushed him through stuff, which he probably was in the eight weeks before I'd got him. Because at that stage, he was terrified of people and wouldn't go near you. So Steve reckoned he'd just been pushed too fast. And then because he's sensitive and, you know, kind of a bit fiery as well when he wants to be, he just decided that was it. He's having enough and he's not cooperating anymore. And he said, the way to get around this and to 
to actually get him to realize that we do want a partnership and it's not just us yelling at him to tell him what to do and him getting fed up with the whole thing is he said, what I had to do at the end was literally ask him to put one step forward, one foot forward. And when I got that one foot, I had to stop riding and just, you know, give him the reins and rub him on his neck for two minutes or a minute or whatever. Because mm-hmm. that one step. And then when he did that with Ozzy, Ozzy, he gave him the reins and Ozzy would do these huge yawns. Like it was like the biggest thing he'd ever done in the world, you know? And he would yawn and yawn and yawn like it was such a big thing that he literally moved one step, you know? So this is, this is what we did. I brought him home and um, from then on, listen, a ride could literally be me going out in the paddock, sitting on him and asking him for one step, getting the one step and then telling him he's wonderful for a minute and him yawning wow. and relaxing, feeling like, and this is a horse I'd done walk track canter on like badly, but I'd done it, <laughs> but it was for his brain. It was just too much. He was just, he just felt like he's being pushed into stuff and he was not on board whatsoever. Yeah, it's rewriting the story, rewriting the communication channel. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's and now he's used to the fact that he had choice. Yeah, and to him that meant everything because other than that, he was just he was he he'd written off people. He was just fed up of us. So yeah, Wonderful. it's kind of crazy. He's a good horse to learn with. <laughs> yeah, there's always one. There is always one. Yeah, I know he's a sweetie. Yeah. So where did that take you? And what, how, what were you working in while you were doing all of the horsework? What was your background work to pay for everything? Uh, so I was a, a project manager in a software company in Dublin, uh, which is the, the capital over here. Um, and that was fine. But I got to an issue a couple of years ago that I could see if I didn't make a change that I would end up living in suburbia and my horses are two hours away down in Tipperary. Um, and so I made, I made the decision, which people were kind of like, you're so brave, but I was like, no, I'm not brave. This is like, it, it'd be more scary not to do it. So what I decided was that I wasn't getting enough time to ride my horse, which is what I really loved doing because he was so far away. So I decided I'd quit my job, start my own business, see if I could get it off the ground. If I didn't, didn't matter. I'd just get another job. And, uh, if I did, then that would be really good because I'd have a job that I could work from anywhere with a laptop and then I could literally just be in Tipperary and ride my horse as much as I wanted, which was my actual goal for the whole thing. Wonderful. So your initial business was a software business, was it? Yeah, I used to make uh, iPhone apps, iPhone and iPad apps. Um, But I'm not techie. I actually hired other people to make them, which was much easier. Fantastic. And what did that allow you to do? Um, for the first nearly a year, not a lot because I worked anytime I was awake pretty much. Um, so it, it was crazy and insane and all this kind of stuff. Cause I was figuring it out, like what would actually work. But, but from there, once things kind of got set up a bit, uh, it meant that I was, I guess, location independent. Is that the word that I could bring my work with me so I could move back to Tipperary. I could, ride my horse every day and then work afterwards. Um, if I wanted to go to some horse adventures, there's someone interesting like a steed clinic or something that I could go over to England and not have to like ask people for annual leave or holidays or anything, just decide I wanted to go and go. And if I needed to bring my laptop and do some work later in the evenings, that was fine. So it kind of changed everything really just to have control of your time and also to 
to set up things that I could, I had the power to do what I wanted to do instead of to kind of trot along to somebody else's agenda, you know? Mm. What came next? Um, so after that, I heard about this guy. Well, I didn't actually. I, I had a lot of his books. So there is an American horseman called Mark Rashid um, who has written these beautiful, beautiful horse books, um, story books, but they're kind of educational as well, but you kind of don't realize you're being educated. And he's fantastic. And I'd seen him once or twice at a clinic in England. And his clinics are always, you know, they're absolutely packed because he's so many people that love his books. So he gets lots of people there. So you never actually get to speak with him or anything too much because there's always, just, you know, so many people. And so he also does Aikido, which is this kind of martial arts thing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not into martial arts, but he talked about it. And he said, listen, I'm going to come back next year from the States and I'm going to be in England and I'm going to do an Aikido clinic. And it's good for your horsemanship. And if anyone wants to come and do it, here's the info. And so like, I'm not a kind of karate kind of kid, you know, <laughs> I'm not into any kind of any of that stuff. Now, maybe I should be, but I'm not. And I was like, Aikido, that's weird. I don't want to learn how to karate chop stuff. And how does that, you know, click into horses? But the thing is, if Mark Rashid is telling you this, he's like, he's a genius with horses. So I was like, okay, maybe I should just step out of my comfort zone and fly over and do this weird Aikido thing. And so I did. And it was actually really, it was really good, actually. But when I was over there, everybody else was English and it was me, it was my Irish accent. And so there was maybe 10 or 15 in the class. And of course, Mark twigged my Irish accent. And we had a, a little chat, I guess. And he kind of, he kind of suggested that, uh, that him and Chrissy, his wife, always wanted to come to Ireland. And would, it, would I know of anyone that would host a clinic with him? And I'm like, well, funny you say that, but I actually host clinics if you want to come over. So he came over and he had been working on a screenplay for a movie. And I'd been following it for the, maybe the previous year or two. And he was hoping to get it off the ground and actually get it made, but it had taken quite a long time. And it was just, these things are really hard to make happen because you need, you know, you need lots of funding. You need, there's just so many things you need in place. It's next to impossible to make something like this. So mm. when he was leaving, I drove him back down to the airport himself and Chrissy. And I said, listen, if I can help you out with this movie, I've read the book. I adore the book. I think it's brilliant. So if I can help you out, if you want me to do like online marketing or PR or anything like that, I said, listen, just count me in. I'm there. And so yeah, it was, it was kind of weird. It was like, I think maybe a year and a half later, something like that. I ended up in Las Vegas on set on their movie for, I think like a week or 10 days. And I, it was crazy. I just, it was like a proper Hollywood movie with like a team of camera people and like sound people and people flying around with, with booms and special light. I don't even know what they were, but it was just, it was crazy. I was on like my first movie set, um, completely unpredicted. I'd never any aspirations to get involved in movies, but I just, I kind of couldn't pass up the opportunity. Oh, why would you? What an extraordinary experience. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. All of the best things in one place, not just a movie set, but a horse movie set. I know, I know. It was, oh, and the place was so beautiful. It was called Red Rock Canyon. And it's about, it's literally a five minute drive from the strip in Las Vegas, which is, and they're two completely different worlds. But um, the place was, was gorgeous. It's, it was, the location was at a, 
um, I think it was called Cowboy Trail Rides, where people can just hire out horses and go for trail rides and the scenery is phenomenal. So Mark was friends with the people that owned that place. And so they let, let us stay there. And then obviously we were shooting and setting up all the sets and stuff there. And that was crazy. And that just kind of, kind of like going to New Zealand and seeing Kathy riding on the horse you know, doing the beautiful work with one rein and a head collar and, you know, and then it was kind of the same thing as seeing this movie set in Vegas going, oh my God, there's this whole other world I had no idea about. And I just found it really interesting. So that movie, um, when did it come out? It's about maybe two years, no, a year and a half ago, maybe. And so uh, as part of that, I was able to go to the New York Film Festival. No, sorry, not the New York, the, the Equus Film Festival, which is this big horse only movie film festival in new york every movie there is a horse movie it's, it's crazy is and that so, annual yeah every november i must put that on my list of things to do wow so it's it's like three days of just horse geniusness and all different types of horse movies from um from like documentaries to um, movies on like Spanish horses to rescue horses to help people the horses are helping people to wild horses to feature films to advertisements to educational like such a crazy range and uh, so I ended up with it that year because I was going to represent the movie team and then Mark's movie actually won the top award that year and then I, I was like I was at this festival in New York like, I had to make a speech <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't believe I'm here. <laughs> and so it was just another crazy place to end up. But seeing all of those other movies and the different types, I didn't know that, oh, you can make feature length films, but you can make shorts as well. Like you don't have to make an hour and a half movie. You can make a five minute short. You can make something that's half an hour long, three quarters of an hour long. And so this was like this whole new world. And I came back and I was, I was so excited about the whole thing. But then like that was it. Obviously that was the end of the movie. And you know, that was as far as I was concerned. And the problem arose then um, last summer. So actually, no, probably this time last year, I was on Facebook, uh, unfortunately. And I saw this, I saw this three minute beautiful video that this guy had done. And it was just magnificent. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. You know, I wonder you know, could I do something like that? Or, or like I've at this stage at Mark's movie, I wasn't involved in any of the production. I was doing like social media and PR and that kind of stuff. And I, I'm not into photography or anything like that, but I just thought, wow, it would be really cool for Steve Halfpenny, who was coming over again that summer. If he had a little short movie that kind of explained like his ethos and stuff, because he helped me so much. I kind of wanted to see if I could help him back a bit as well, you know? Mm. And so... I dropped him an email and I said, listen, Steve, I have this idea. I have no idea what I'm doing, but um, what would you think if when I come over to England to watch your clinics that I brought over um, a, a video camera of some sort and tried to make like a little short few minute documentary about your work? And I don't know if it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, I will just delete it. <laughs> if it does work, you know, we'll see what people think. So it was a complete leap into the or into the unknown. And I, I had no idea what I was doing, like literally. And what I did was I went to Google and I was Googling how to make a documentary movie. And there's a really good website actually called Udemy, U-D-E-M-Y dot com. And they sell lots of courses on everything. And a lot of the time they're $10 online courses. 
And so I went there and I started typing in how to video, how to make a movie, how to make a film, that kind of thing. And what I did was I found three or four courses. They're all $10 each. And so every day for four days, I watched one of these courses. And then on the fifth day, I flew to England with my, my dad's DSLR, actually, and, uh, and shot for, I think, about 10 days um, and put it together. And then we released it in August. And it, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Like this was the first thing I'd ever done myself. And it ended up in, I think, 10 film festivals and winning 13 awards, which wow. was completely unexpected. That's not bad for four $10 courses online. Yeah, I know. It's Google. You can find anything. <laughs> wow. Seriously. Wow. That's, that's an extraordinary thing, but obviously you had an eye for this and a feel for this and maybe it's, you know, your, your music and the creativity side of you and that, that depth you wanted to go with the horses is all kind of coming together in this one thing. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was just kind of a weird thing of like the right place at the right time and that I wanted to help Steve and then that I had the experience with Mark and I knew like movie was a thing and yeah, it's, it's crazy difficult, but you know, I'd obviously seen Mark's movie with, you know, 20 or 30 people on set all doing different things. And then to kind of wrap my head around the concept that maybe one person with a camera could do something that wasn't horrific, that you didn't have to have this massive team that you can have shorter films with different budgets and stuff. And like, that was a bit of a, you know, obviously a stumbling block to try and figure out how that would work. But, um, but it was really, it was really good. And it was, yeah, that definitely surprised me, but there was an issue. And the issue was, as this was going on, Steve spends most of the year traveling around different places, doing clinics in like Australia, New Zealand, the UK, well, the UK and Ireland in the summer. And so he was meeting all of these, his students and they were like, oh, I really liked your, your short film and stuff. When's the movie coming out? And he's <laughs> like, what? They're like, yeah, that was the trailer, right? And he's like, no, <laughs> no, no, really true. <laughs> and so, yeah, people were asking him, they thought that was a trailer for a movie because it was just like a short five, six minute thing. And they were asking when the movie was coming out. And then so he, I was getting one or two emails back from him going, yeah, yeah, people really like it and they think it's a trailer. And I'm like, oh, right. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I panicked for about a month. This was mm, probably October, November time. Uh, I panicked for a month. I'm like, oh my God, a movie. How cool would it be to do a movie? But then like the logical part of me is thinking that's insane. That's crazy. One person can't do a movie and you've absolutely no experience. You've no, you literally your dad's DSLR camera that can't do a movie. How do you even structure a movie? Like how would you get funding for a movie? Like the whole thing was just, it was kind of just making my brain melt, you know? Um, but then at the same time, I was kind of at the back of my head, I kind of knew I'd do it. I didn't know how, but I was like, you know, if you get an opportunity, it, it would just be the coolest thing to do if I could somehow figure it out. And Google at this stage did, wasn't actually as helpful. <laughs> it's a lot trickier trying to figure out how to, how one person can make like a full movie. Um, so anyway, what I did is I, yeah, didn't sleep for about six weeks. And then I just said, listen, I'll, if I just proceed the same way as I did the first one, that I'll try and do it. And then Stephen or Aina, his wife, can watch what I've done and I'll watch it. And if it looks like all of the stuff that I did, it's just not good enough or it just doesn't work, 
we'll just delete it and nobody will ever know. That was the thing. So no pressure. So that's what we did. So I emailed Steve and I was like, uh, Steve, um, do you want me to come over and make a movie? And he just emailed me back and said, yeah, why not? And I'm like, oh no. So uh, yeah, he's really, he's quite bad that way because he's very open to like doing things. So um, what I did before, probably about a, a month or two before, was um, I contacted a lot of Steve's friends and instructors all around the world. And I said, listen, here's a story. I'm trying to do this movie about Steve and his philosophy and way with horses and the community that he's built up around. And could I ask you to do a video interview and send it to me about a, a, a favorite story that you have of when you're working with Steve or whatever. So it was crazy. Like we got people from all over the world sending in these amazing video stories and video interviews and like asking someone to do a video is probably one of the worst things you can do to somebody because like everybody hates being on video <laughs> trying to think of what to say and all this kind of stuff. So it was amazing that we got so many, so many interviews and videos back. And then I flew out to Australia, New Year's Eve, just gone. And uh, two of my friends who are two of Steve's instructors, um, Anne-Marie and Tanya flew with me. Or, well, I met them just out there. They flew at the same time. So we shot the movie for a month in uh, Blanchetown, which is in South Australia. And it was, yeah, it was just crazy. Like the place is so beautiful. I mean, I love Australia anyway, but it was, the landscapes were stunning. I got these beautiful drone shots. We were able to, to get lots of different content of the stuff Steve was doing and then with everybody being there as well, so the different stories. And it turned out kind of pretty pretty amazing. Like there's a few people that kind of have seen it, kind of both like draft versions of it. And, you know, you, you actually need a box of tissues there because like people start crying during it. You're like, oh God, is this good or bad? And <laughs> they're like, no, 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 it's good tears. It's good tears. I'm like, oh God, okay. So that movie is... Um, just about finished and um it is due out for um for release this summer which is your winter i guess and was it just you doing all the videoing and everything so i was going to say technology these days is a bit kinder to you because you could have a drone up and and different technology to take decent video these days but was it just you who put everything together yeah no i had a really good kind of i had a lot of helpers and a lot of really good crew shall we say horsey crew that were I mean they were amazing I'm like listen can you just go back and do that again and they you know they do it for me again or they'd help me like lug cameras around or um set up different things but no in terms of the filming and editing it was it was me that's incredible absolutely incredible it's, yeah it's, it's insane <laughs> really. when you think about it it's I shouldn't have done it <laughs> it's like crazy but they're the things you know when you don't think too much and you say i'll have a go you learn on the job and and it's when magic happens i think anyway yeah i agree with you and then the problem you see then you do something good but it always leads to another problem and the problem after that was that steve had a friend called jeff uh jeff sanders who is this genius amazing horseman from california and I'd seen him a few times and been to some of his clinics and I love what he does as well. And he'd seen that Steve had a documentary and he's like, oh yeah, Elaine, I'd like a documentary too. And I'm just like, what? What? No. <laughs> so um, in April there, I don't know, four or five weeks ago, I ended up flying to Spain 
for a week and I shot a documentary about Jeff. Now it's not, Steve is like a full length movie. Jeff's one is about 40 minutes. Um, they're both quite different in style, but Jeff has such a, like he's such an amount of knowledge about the, um, the old Spanish riding when the Spanish brought their horsemanship to Mexico, to California, the development of the Californian Vaquero, the difference between like the Texan tradition, the Buckaroos in the Great Basin and the Californian Vaqueros. And it's just, it's fascinating to watch. And then interspersed with that because it was all shot in Spain, we're shooting at the World School. Um, then we were in the, the Feria. They had this crazy festival in Spain. Um, on the Sunday that we were there, I've never seen so many horses and horse carriages and everyone is like completely like beautifully um, presented in all of their Spanish horses and the Spanish gear and all that stuff. It was just amazing. So I was really lucky to get some pretty like remarkable footage, which I was able to then use in the documentary too. So that is, it's about halfway through editing, but that should be released also this summer with like, your winter, I should say. Wow. And I also saw um, on Google, of course, that you, is it true you're the director of the Irish International Film Festival as well? Yeah, then I set up a film festival. Like, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, see, that's the thing. I Sometimes I get these crazy ideas and I just do them. But um, yeah, no, the film festival is interesting. It's probably not something, I think it's more fun making films than running a film festival, to be honest. So I think in my future, it's going to be less of the festival and it's just going to be more, you know, making films because that's what I'm really, what I really enjoy doing. It's just, it's like having a really cool puzzle and then it's your job to put all the pieces in the right place, you know? So mm. it's, um, yeah, the whole thing, like this whole thing is completely random and unexpected, but it's it's actually something I love doing because I love making something from nothing, but then I get this opportunity to go to Australia and to spend four weeks with Steve Urena, or I get to go to Spain and to see all this crazy Spanish, beautiful horse riding with Jeff Sanders. Like you just don't get those opportunities, you know, or to be on a movie set in Las Vegas with Mark. So it's it's, it's crazy, but good. And you have, you started Grey Pony Films. Is that the name of your company? Yeah, that's the name. Uh, that was that was started. Um, I last actually, I was at the. I went back to the to the Equus Film Festival in New York because I obviously I've been there once with Mark's movie. And when I made Steve's, I was like, oh, I'd love to go back to New York. So I put it in. I submitted it and it was accepted for the official selection. So I flew over to New York last November, and uh, is one. Oh, what did it win? It won an award, best equestrian short, I think. So it was really cool. I was able to come home like with a trophy. I'd given up a speech and stuff. But um, but when I was there, it was just really inspiring to to talk to everybody because you you get to meet all the other filmmakers, and these are all people that just live and breathe horses. And the reason that they got into film is because they love horses. You know, they're not film people first; they're horse people that have mm. decided to do film stuff about horses. So when I was there, like, it was just, it was really interesting, like, to chat to everybody and to get their perspective and hear what they were doing. And there was some proper, you know, really amazing production companies there as well. And it was at that stage that it kind of dawned on me. And then I was, like, trying to set up Steve's big movie that maybe I had something here. Maybe I should, like, set up a Facebook page to talk about these films and stuff. And maybe I could do maybe another one. And and so, yeah, that was the, the beginning of Grey Pony Films. 
And you have a project at the moment that you're working on, is that correct? I do. I have my biggest project so far. So what I've decided to do, um, and it actually came about from when I was, I was over in Australia. So there was lots of Steve's friends and instructors that had come to visit. And they were like, oh, you know, it's brilliant, you know, that you're doing this movie about Steve. But there's this really amazing horse guy that I know that does this, this, this. Or there's an incredible equine vet in Germany that's just genius about some particular area. And he's amazing. And you should do a film about him. So I was getting all these people telling me about people that they loved that wanted that that they felt should have their own movie now of course this is crazy you can't just like movies take actually quite a long time to do and you can't just be doing like a movie per person because it's it's bananas so i was kind of thinking about it and what i've decided to do is to kind of combine my like what i've done so far in terms of being able to make documentary movies and um that people seem to to enjoy and that do well at film festivals and also because I am really lucky that I do have access to a lot of really, really good horse people around the world um, is to create a a new documentary in 2019, which is really going to be, it's going to be there to showcase like the the best horse people in the world that really, the guys that put the horse first in, in everything that they do, whether they're, natural horsemen people horsemanship people whether they're vets whether equine dentists saddle fitters um show jumpers eventers dressage people you know animal communicators i just wanted to create a documentary that these people who deserve to have their own movie can actually be in a movie and that i can bring their expertise and their knowledge to a wider audience that's incredible i get shivers when i think about it that's kind of the it, entire it basis really. of this podcast. And it's so wonderful. Oh, really? <laughs> There's so many of us. It's like it's out there now. There's enough of us that's going to make yeah. a groundswell that's going to say, all right, there's another way. There's another way and we can bring this to the yeah. world and say you don't have to dominate your horse anymore. You can actually yeah, exactly. have an amazing partnership and the horses, I think, and my gut says they've been waiting such a long time for us to go, oh, we can have this now, you know. Yeah, and, exactly. And they're as and, excited about it as we are. Yeah, and I think movies are, like, they're incredibly difficult and time-consuming to do. But the thing about a movie is that I think, like, people, if you think of going to the cinema or going to the movies, like, people look forward to it. It's escapism, it's entertainment, they don't see it as, oh, it's this thing that I have to sit through for an hour and a half and it's going to be boring and stuff. So if I can manage to bring these people's stories to life in a way that's interesting, that's, you know, inspiring, that's fun, that's that really you're kind of sitting at the edge of your seat going, oh, my God, this is amazing. What's next? Do you know what I mean? That's really enjoyable. I think that's going to be what's going to really help to get these people's stories across. That's incredible. And how can people, if they, because they may be listening to this now and they're thinking, I know exactly who it is that you should talk to. How do people get in contact with you and how do they put forward these amazing horse people? Oh yeah, sure. So I'm, yeah, I'm absolutely looking for people from all over the world. So whatever genre of the horse world that you're in, if you have something special that you do with horses, um, definitely I'd love to hear from you. So if you are that person, what you can do is you can go to greyponyfilms.com 
And if you go to that website, you'll see a link for where you, where you can apply. And if you know someone, um, probably the simplest thing is to get them to listen to this podcast or um, then just, or you can just let them know to again, go to the website and they can see kind of details about what the movie is going to be about. And there's an application form. Fantastic. And you said you were on Facebook. What other social media do you use? Where can people find you? Uh, it's really just Facebook because I find most of the horse people are on Facebook rather than on the rest. Um, so really it's Facebook. If you type in Grey Pony Films, you'll find me there or the website um, or email is greyponyfilms at gmail.com. Wonderful. And on your website, you actually they have a newsletter sign up as well so people can get updates through their email as well yeah exactly they'll be able to they'll be the first to hear like when steve's movie is released when jeff's movie is released if there's any updates then for the big movie for next year so they'll be able to be kept in the loop on all of that i just yeah i'm i'm really excited to see like to see where this goes and yeah i don't know i just think it's a really special time because with like technology being a lot easier to kind of wrap your head around and be more accessible because you couldn't have done this thing like 15 or 20 years ago you couldn't do, i couldn't even have afforded the camera you know so and you definitely couldn't really... have had a drone no i couldn't no we got some really good drone shots you know it's really hard not to crash a drone <laughs> but there was one really shaky moment <laughs> but it ended well but i tell you what i ran really fast to stop the drone crashing i couldn't see it it disappeared and gone black on me total disaster and everyone was wondering why i was literally like sprinting like a crazy woman to like the far side of the dressage arena but we sorted it out but no i think it's i really appreciate being on on your show and i just think we've a really exciting time because there's so many amazing horse people out there and um being able to like you in some way help to bring their message to um to the world i think is just really special fantastic well, Elaine, I personally would like to thank you for your time today for joining me, but I'd also like to thank you for everything that you do for horses. It's incredible. And, and that's the whole point of this podcast is bringing people who are doing extraordinary things with horses. And I think what you're doing is extraordinary. And I keep an eye on your Facebook page and I will be looking forward to the movie coming out next year. And I'll um, I'll talk to you also about the possibility of, of hosting a, a movie night here in Brisbane because I know that we're a massive horse area here in southeast Queensland and there's a lot of people that would love to see that film when it comes out. So thanks again oh, for your time today. Okay. It was my pleasure. Thanks a million for, for chatting with me. After speaking with Elaine, I feel that anything in life is possible. I hope you got something out of that interview as well. To connect with Elaine, you can follow the links in the show notes. You can also go to the blog on my website and see pictures of Elaine and her horse, Ozzy, as well as pictures from her movies. My website is comealongfortheride.com.au. If you get a moment, you might also like to have a listen to an earlier episode in the series. Mel Fleming from Connecting with Horses and Riding with Synchronicity has an incredible story to tell of her long journey with horses and the depth she has gone to over the years to make her horsemanship what it is today. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It helps us climb up the rankings and will help get the message out there. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. 
You can also share us on your social media. Tell all your friends about us and ask them to join us on our mission as well. You will find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. If your friends don't know how to podcast, just send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone who might be resistant to technology but would love to listen. I would love it also if you'd get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you would like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine. So please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or our social media. You will find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. A big thanks to Melissa Hanwright, who was the person who told me about Elaine. Melissa has been a big help by letting me know about many amazing horse people as possible guests on the podcast and was also the designer of the logo for me on this podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.